Harry, you point, and then I'll start oh, fading out. I see. Okay, because, yeah, it's just still going and going and going. Gotcha. So right when it says, and Todd Perry, I'll point. Okay. Right. Okay. Because <laughs> it was just really jamming at that point. I know. I okay. know. And I, yeah, I feel like people watching the video will note that I am off rhythm even more so because I can't hear what's happening. Okay. Okay. Are we ready now? Yes. Okay. So I, uh, so microphone. Maybe. So microphone. <laughs> Upworthy Weekly, delivering the best of humanity every Saturday. Here's your hosts, Allison Rosen and Todd Perry. everybody and welcome back to Upworthy Weekly. My name is Todd Perry and with me is the great Allison Rosen. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Fine, fine. If anybody knew the magical studio trickery that was happening behind the scenes here, they'd be oh. very impressed with what we just pulled off. We are what what a tight ship we 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 run. I cannot even speak. Full disclosure, I was out of town. First vacation I've taken in years. First time I've been on an airplane since the pandemic. Uh, and clearly I'm a little rusty coming back. And I want everyone to know that I saw you on Zoom yesterday before our official first recording. And you had some facial hair, but you're all cleaned up today. Oh, yeah. I guess yesterday, um, it was my Thursday is the, the, the wildest side of me you know like, <laughs> i didn't know and then friday i do a nice shave and i kind of you know take a little bit of time for myself and uh, i pull out that barbasol and i just go to the face and um mm. yeah and then and then uh, I, I i look wonderful on the videos we do here but i'm too lazy you know up through thursday to to do such a thing so every single week you're like back to nature mountain man on Thursday and then you're working for the man on Friday. That's right. And also I just have to look good for the, the world's gaze. Cause you yes, know, when I, when I, I signed up for this, it was an audio podcast and now it's, um, it's a video one as well. So, um, exactly. you know, I, I've been thinking about getting my teeth fixed. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you want some pointers, I could give you a list of things. Listen, Todd, something really horrendously embarrassing happened to me on this vacation. And I want, and it relates to something we talked about and I wanted to text you about it, but I'm going to wait until we get into the, how was our week? Okay. Uh, Cause I feel that it belongs there. So that's just a tease, but just know that something that relates to a thing we've been talking about happened and it's not about cats and dogs and it's not mm. about Mariah Carey and Christmas music. Mm. Then what else is it? What else have we talked about on the show? There's only one other thing. So, my name is Todd Perry, a staff writer here at Upworthy, and with me is the wonderful Allison Rosen. You know her from the podcast, Allison Rosen is your new best friend. And I was thinking, I was kind of inspired by your, your branding as America's new best friend, and I was thinking, like, I should make a podcast called Todd Perry is Your New Ex-Boyfriend. Oh, I like that. And so people who listen to the show, it's basically for them to go, oh, my God, I'm so glad he's out of my life. Mm, you know, I'm yes. so I'm so glad he's somebody else's problem now. And I, I figured like I'd open the show. I talk about like NFTs and oh, then, you know, I get into a little bit of crypto talk. <laughs> um, maybe <laughs> just maybe like the Joe Rogan update, like whatever he was talking about. Um, right. Craft Beer Tuesdays, you know. I love that idea. I love that. You can alienate everyone, but what will keep them coming back? You know what would be I would be crazy. What if you did that? The idea being you are so repugnant that people will tune in once and be like, "Thank God I'm no longer shackled to that guy." But then what if you're actually that's crazy popular and it turns out that's what everyone wants? Well, it's going to be more like I think dudes who are also ex-boyfriends listening in at that point. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I think that we could do a thing where like on the, then on the next episode, you can kind of tell I'm getting better. Oh, you're improving. 
Yeah, or start talking about, you know, I'm kind of taking care of myself a little bit. And, you know, I, I started watching Bridgerton. And and then, <laughs> then like, the person's like, you know, maybe he wasn't that bad. I mean, you know, there were some good things about him. You know, mm-hmm. you know that, that conversation you have with your friends after the breakup, but like once you're kind of over over the guy, like he's the worst guy in the world until finally you're over him. Maybe you're on to the next one, right? And then you go, you know, there were some good things about Al Chang. You're using a real person. You're a real friend. Oh, yeah. I'm just I'm just using, a, a, you know, specifics or what works right. with comedy, Allison. That's why I'm laughing. Uh, yes. <laughs> Right. But I think it's more than just once you're over him. It's once they're over you. Once oh. they're over you, then you're like, you know, maybe I maybe I sized him up wrong. There were some things about old Al Chang that were redeeming. And then maybe if you sign up for the Patreon, you'll get random drunk texts like <laughs> at weird hours of the night from Todd, your ex-boyfriend, or Al Chang, your ex-boyfriend, or, or, or whatever. I like this idea. So anyway, Allison, uh, on today's show, we're going to go over some of Upworthy's most popular and engaging stories from March 28th to April 7th. So what do you got? All right. Well, a Buddhist monk who, before he was a monk, was a practicing psychotherapist. And to me, that is an amazing transition. Uh, So psychotherapist to monk. And his name is Nick, by the way. Uh, he offers these five key routines to make your day better. So, you know, so many of us are invested in like, what can we do to set up our day? What morning routines will get our day <clears throat> going in the right direction? Personally, I love that notion. I have trouble instituting any of them because I am so good at laziness. But here are five things that can help other people, and maybe I'll consider some of them. Uh, One, make your bed. Mm. Um, This is good for mindfulness. You know, in the monastery, the monks only have three things. They have three items. They have robes. They have more robes and they have a smartphone. I'm just kidding. They have robes, they have more robes, and they have the mat that they lie on. Uh, And so it's just about like cleanliness, mindfulness, setting their day in motion. By the way, most of these things I'm going to mention are about mindfulness. Um, Number two, chanting and meditation. Okay. Again, mindfulness, filling up, energy. Do it every single day. I can get behind that. Now, did, now, do they do it while they're washing their robes? Because that's how I do it, being that, you know, I'm, I like to meditate. Are you meditate. multitasking? Well, I like to meditate naked when I get out of the shower. So I figured that, like, if the monks can do it while washing their robes, then they, too, can also, yeah, multitask, do a naked meditation, you know. I think they're into single tasking, monotasking. Okay. Uh, you know, for the, for the, well... You know, really, they get up because there's a video that went with this story. And the first thing they do is they get up, they stay in bed on their mat, and they breathe and they think about death. <laughs> uh, but that didn't make this list. This list started with make your bed. So I feel like this is the westernized version. But really, it starts with breathing and thinking about death. Um, so anyway. That's how I usually three, feel after like a night out. You know, like a hard night out. I (laughs) wake up, breathe. I think about death. Yes. Wake up, breathe, look around, figure out where I am, and then think about death. Um, Three, do an act of generosity. Now, this is one of my favorite things on this list because do an act of... I don't know if you read this story. I'm sure you did because you Mm -hmm. work at Upworthy. Um, Do an act of generosity, but... The act of generosity that the monks do is that they go into town and provide an opportunity for the lays people, the lay people to do an alms, meaning, or to do an alms offering, meaning the act of generosity, this is my understanding of it. Tell me if I'm correct. The act of generosity that the monks do is that they allow the lay people to feed the monks. Mm. Thus, the lay people are freeing themselves of greed. So the generosity that the monks are doing is accepting the food. 
Is that, did I understand that correctly? Yeah. Uh, I feel like that's the opposite. <laughs> but I love that. I think it's the opposite of generosity if you're going out well, asking. And accepting food. Yeah. yeah maybe I miss, maybe I am misunderstanding exactly who's performing the generosity here. Maybe they're saying it's the lay people who are starting their morning right by doing the generosity. But I prefer my understanding of it, which is this silly little like it's. But regardless, do an act of generosity in the morning. That'll set up your day, um, you know, t- to be on the right path. Uh Four, do chores. The monks do individual and group chores. Now, here's where you're talking about the robe washing and the other stuff. Mm. Um, And then five, and this one's no fun, unlike the raging party of the other four. uh, Limit your dinner. The best way to prepare for the next morning is by uh, starting the night before. So you want to limit your dinner so you have like a clear belly to ponder death. I added that last part, but that was implied. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of think that the limit your dinner thing works with a new diet plan that my wife and I have going. And, oh, what uh, is that? It, it's called, we usually do this on Sundays, which is, uh, it's called Let's Eat a Late Lunch. And mm-hmm. what we'll do is, I know uh, this sounds like geriatric behavior, but it's not. It's just, <laughs> this is a youthful activity. But what you do is, uh, you you eat lunch at say two o'clock, so you kind of you starve yourself for like an hour and a half, right? And so you're really hungry, and then you eat like something unhealthy and in large portions, right? So you're like, I'm gonna go get a big, huge uh, bean and cheese burrito, and or and, and some tacos, and then when by the time dinner rolls around, you're not tired. You go, oh god, and then then my wife and I fight over who's less hungry, you know? Like mm-hmm. I'll be like. I don't know. Maybe we should just like have a salad. Oh God, I can't even do the salad. You think you can't do the salad? Oh God, no. I there's no way in this world I could even do a salad right now. We ate such a big late lunch that you know we don't have to worry about dinner. So then, like you had like a, a 900 calorie lunch, and then that's like the only thing you eat all day. So actually, instead of eating a lunch and a dinner, uh, calorically you just you, eat. Yeah, right. and you, just and you, you just do lunch. Yeah, and you're you're satiated, and uh, you can actually lose weight that way. I believe. Are you a registered dietitian? Do you want to go on record as saying you're not one? Yeah, I'd like to do and you're that. You're not offering. Okay, um, I like this idea. So this is what you guys. Do. I love. I, you know, I feel like I've known you for some time now, and yet every time I talk to you, I learn new things: the tortoises, other stuff. And now I'm learning Thursdays you shave, Sundays you eat a late lunch. <laughs> your, your week is so regimented. So just like the Buddhist monk here. Um, yeah. But I, I wanted to have this recorded so that somebody else doesn't come up with the late lunch diet and book and like audio yes. series and podcast. So I want there to be a picture of me on a beach. And a burrito. Large burrito just <laughs> dripping down my hand like all the sauce, yeah. and I look so right. happy, so satiated, and but I look thin. Like they photoshopped me, mm-hmm. I look svelte. Yes, I think you should be wearing like like uh, gauzy white uh, cot, like gauzy mm-hmm. cotton pants and a flowy shirt. Oh yes, almost like I'm wearing a shroud. You know? Yeah, like you're kind of like a guru with your just jo- obscene, like a baby, uh, the size of a, your burrito is the size of a baby, <laughs> an obscene burrito. But you only do this one day a week because yeah. you feel so sick afterwards. I feel sick. And then, you know, you have to eat a dinner at some point during the week. So, mm-hmm. you know, and then also I'd have to okay it with my wife because that's when you get married, you, you know, you're kind of on the same eating schedule. Uh, yes. Well, so recently, I'm sorry. I know. I know you have a story. So I'll just make this very fast. Rec- we, my husband and I, eat kind of late, which is very unmonk like of us. Yeah. Uh, but I have been wanting to eat earlier because this eating late thing just look. We're not European. It just doesn't really work for our schedule. So I've been like, uh, I think I'm just going to eat earlier, and I feel like I'm transgressing against our union by saying. Honey, I love you, but I got to do a different schedule. It's Is, really tearing at the fabric of our romance. Does he have well, a problem oh, with it? No. 
he says he doesn't. He says he understands, but I actually feel like he's taking it kind of personally. We'll work mm. through it. We'll be okay. But it, okay. it. But but to your point, you are tied together on these issues. I know you and your yeah. wife have worked out some kind of situation where you watch television separately. Mm-hmm. But uh, meals are are the last frontier. Well, yeah, because you know there are a lot of couples that have separate rooms. Like maybe somebody snores or oh. talks talks in yes. their sleep or something. But uh, mm-hmm. nobody's like me and my wife have separate kitchens. <laughs> Like, oh my god imagine that separate dining room you know right imagine she's in that. her dining room uh back to the monks here here's the thing with with making your bed it doesn't feel like monk like to me because monks have a thing where they're really into like creating a piece of art putting all this effort into it and then they just like blow it into the ocean right mm. you know they had those yes. like right the mandala 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 Mandela. That yeah. effect. Yeah. And they, they do that. And, and I feel like that's my same attitude with making the bed. It's like it's futile because I'm just going to get back in it later and mess it up. Right. So why don't I just keep it messed up and, and save the eight minutes that it takes to make the bed? I hear what you're saying. And that makes sense. However, I'm not a very neat person, but the one thing I do every single morning is make the bed. And before my husband is even fully out of the bed, I have gone over to his side of the bed and I'm like trying to shoo him out of the way, trying to make his side of the bed. So sometimes it annoys me. I, I know I come off like a terrible wife and um, I just ask you to... Uh, to just not pay attention to those parts of what I say. Um, And then I'm, I just, I just want to make it with him still in it. Sometimes it just drives me nuts the way he just pushes. He he untucks the sheets off the end of the bed and it drives me nuts. And so I just want to like, Oh, just tuck it back in. Well, do you want to do that to like really disturb him? Maybe while he's asleep and you, you you got this, maniacal tucking going on that wakes him up and then he gets no. mad. No, no, it's not about that. It's, I just want order. It, oh. it just, just, I just want the bed to be neat and tidy so that I can feel calm about with, I can feel like that part is done and then I can move on. I just want order. Sounds like the scariest thing that a man could ever hear <laughs> in the morning with a woman tucking the bed. I just want order. I know. I feel like, uh, and here's a very timely reference. I feel like the Annette Benning character in uh, American Beauty. Mm. Upworthy, Upworthy Weekly. Fifty-two-year-old news footage of a teacher's strike revealed an interview with a young prince, and by prince, I mean the uh, musician. So basically, what happened is a um, there was a teacher's strike in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and a news team uh, was remembering that like 50 years before there was also, it was the first ever strike by teachers. So they went to look at this old footage from 1970 and lo and behold, uh, the guy's going through all the footage and he finds a little kid being interviewed in it. And it's an 11 year old that he's pretty damn sure is Prince and he can't believe it. So he pulls in other people from the news crew and he comes in and he's like, who do you think this is? And everybody said, that's Prince. But I mean, when it comes to, I guess, Minneapolis, you know, little kid, 1970. Right. Who else are you going for? It's like, oh, I know who that is. That's Al Franken. <laughs> or like, <laughs> that's Garrison Keillor. It's a young Jesse the Body Ventura. <laughs> uh, so they get in there and they find this uh, video of Prince. And now I'm going to, I've got the audio here of Prince, so here we go. And then we heard his voice. Are most of the kids in favor of the picketing? Yep. How come? Um, I think they should get a better education too, cause um, and I think they should get some more money, cause they work be working extra hours for us and all that stuff. Our excitement was palpable, but we did not get him saying, "I'm Prince Nelson." Pretty cute, huh? That's so cute. Oh. 
And then the video, the thing is, he makes this like sly, very Prince look in when they film him. And the voice, like, uh, you can't tell that much because uh, he's not going like, ah, or anything. But, <laughs> <laughs> but when they find, when they show him, he does this kind of like, even at 11, I'm way cooler than you'll ever be look. And then you go, oh, yeah, that's Prince. That's that weird, you know, charisma he was born with. Uh-huh. So, you know, just a crazy thing. Like, have you ever in your life just ran across something and found something and couldn't believe it? Like the dumb luck of it? I've been thinking about this. I don't think I have. I really wish. Because, I mean, I've, you know, I worked as a journalist or uh, which I which sounds less pretentious. Journalist, reporter, writer. I worked for magazines and whatnot. Um, and I'm, I don't journalist. think I've ever. Sounds least pretentious. Most. Most. Okay, which sounds least? Reporter, because reporter, you tend to think of like, you know, some ham and egger running around with a, a little sheet of paper, jotting down notes and getting to the bottom of things. And journalist mm. sounds like you're really into your opinion. Well, I did, I did stuff, but I don't, I'm trying to think if I ever... You know, I just finished watching uh, Who Lose the Dropout, which I recommend. It was so good, even though that story has been told now so many times about Elizabeth Holmes. But there's like, you know, a real plot in the newsroom where they're so excited that they've like blown the lid off this story and blah, blah, blah. And I've never really been like the, a gumshoe reporter who found this, this or that. I mean, I've gotten good interviews for sure and great quotes and things. But anyway, long story short, no, I have never been looking at archival footage and found like oh my god is that i think that's elvis could it be <laughs> yes no i haven't have you uh well i when i was thinking about this question i was thinking more of just like random things i've found in life that couldn't believe i found them mm -hmm. and when i was i don't know like 18 years old i was and still am an obsessive fan of the beastie boys like love the Beastie Boys to death, and one one it's like all I could think about in you know 1995 you know was the ill communication record or whatever, mm -hmm. and I I went into my dumpster at the apartment building where my mom and I worked. Um, I was and I wasn't looking for sustenance or anything. I was like taking out the trash, and I opened up the dumpster and I saw like a folded poster, and it was just white because it was like the back of the poster and it was folded in fours. And a weird voice in my head goes, what if that was a Beastie Boys poster? Wow. Just because that's kind of what I thought about anything. Because you, know? you were obsessed. Right. And so I open up the poster, and it's like a four-foot-tall Beastie Boys concert poster. Oh, my gosh. In pristine condition, besides the fact that it was folded, um, from a, a concert in Italy from, like, 1992. And I was just like, wait, what? I felt like I had like used the secret or something yeah. to manif manifest, you know? Right. And I was just like, like I'm looking around, like, is this a practical joke? Yeah. Is what's happening? Is Ashton Kutcher going to come out? <laughs> well, this was he was probably before that four when this happened. Is Alan Funt going to come out? I don't know who did uh, prank stuff back then. <laughs> Alan, ugh, this, that sounds frightening. An Alan Funt encounter. He was a candid camera. Ah. Uh, that's for the kids out there listening. <laughs> when he was on Jack Parr in 1954. Uh, so I'm sitting there and I'm like, I can't, I can't believe this. So they had some new guys that moved upstairs in our apartment. And I asked the guy, I said, this is a very strange question, but you, did you happen to throw away a Beastie Boys concert poster? And he goes, yeah, I did. And I was like... Well, first of all, why would you? That should be in why? your living room. Yeah. And um, and the guy says, oh, I got it from my pal Mark. And I was just like, and I guess their keyboard player, Money Mark Nishida, who was like the Whoa. tour guy, was friends with them. And I guess he oh would God. give him crap from when they went on tour all the time. And this guy would just throw it away. So then like every time I went to the trash, I was just like, oh, it's, you know. So like Mike right. D's drumsticks or something in here. But that was just one time, but it, for a moment, it was one of those like, whoa, this is, this is insane. What is going on yeah. here? But. That's crazy. So wait, the part that, that's so cool. Um, the part that keeps going through my head is that 
as you reached for the poster, you were like, what if this is a Beastie Boys poster? And then it was. But is it the kind of thing where every time you reached for any bit of trash, you were like, what if this is a Beastie Boys thing? What if this is a Beastie Boys thing? And then it happened to be that time? Or really was it just that time? Uh, I think that just in general, that was top of mind yeah. for everything. Like, I'm getting up in the morning. I'm going to listen to, you know, whatever. Right. So I think it was just a coincidence, but a pretty decent coincidence. But then when you realize that, like, the guy, Mark Nishida, Money Mark, lived in Gardena, yeah. which was, like, right up the block from us. And so it all kind of, like, of course, he'd know somebody. Still. Still That's it was really cool. It was pretty wild. Do you have a favorite boy? Oh, I like all the boys the same. It's, you know, <laughs> some... <laughs> I think as I age, I become more of an Adam Yauch, MCA guy. You know, when I was younger, I was a little more Mike D, you know, so it just depends. Right, so. right, right. I feel like there are people who find cool stuff and who win contests, and then there's me. You know, like I feel like a certain kind of person finds a lot of cool stuff in this world. Although I, there's one contest I won, and I won an iPod. It wasn't a contest. It was like a raffle, and it was an iPod Touch. And I remember as I looked down at my little raffle ticket and I walked up on stage to retrieve my iPod touch. I was like, I, this is the first raffle I've ever won. I never, ever win raffles. This is nuts. Um, whereas like, there's other people who are like, Oh yeah, I won that car on a TV show. I always win stuff. (laughs) And, but yeah, I'm, I'm really now I'm trying to think like, have I, is there anything I've ever found? Uh, and uh, nothing is coming to mind. I'm sure there's something, but nothing cool. Like a beastie boys poster. Upworthy weekly. So there's a very sweet video that's gone viral uh, of a kindergarten through fifth grade science teacher who is fielding questions from a group of seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds about her maternity leave, Um, all sorts of questions about babies and even the dreaded where do babies come from question, um, which she fields very deftly, Uh, but I'll get to that in a second. So just to to explain... um, she is just a consummate teacher who cares about her students, the kind of teacher that uh, that you wish all teachers were. And so she was leaving to go on maternity leave, and she wanted to reassure her students that she would be back. So before she left, she did um, uh, some activities with them, which she called Baby Bonanza. Um, so she had, like, different, you know, baby activities that she did, and she let them all know what was going to happen, that she was going to be gone for three months, uh, Uh, She was going to have her baby, and then she was going to go on maternity leave, and then she was going to come back. And then when she came back, she uh, wanted to do sort of a question and answer thing to sort of reintroduce herself to the class. And she uh, expected it to be about five minutes, but instead it was 20 minutes. And this was videoed, and this is the video that went viral. And the questions are just so sweet and so innocent and so rapid fire. Um, And like I said, they even include the dreaded where do babies come from. And you can tell she like very quickly just says babies come from uh, an organ called the uterus. Um, But anyway, it's just uh, it's very sweet. And she seems uh, willing and able to answer all of their questions. So I've got some audio of the kids uh, pressing her with questions. I missed you too. The last time that you saw me, yeah. I looked like this. Remember? You pregnant? I was. Yes, I was you very. Can't you remember? I was very, very pregnant, and then I had a what? A baby. I want you to meet my son. I had a boy. This is what I've been doing for the past three months. What questions do you have? Did baby Sam ever cry before? Oh, yeah. Are you trying to teach him how to walk? Not yet. He's only three months old. Now, he just lays there and smiles. Is it difficult to have a baby? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's pretty tough. Where do babies come from? Um, They come from an organ called your uterus. Cut off, as she was saying, uterus. But she says the whole word, uterus. Yeah, it was kind of the audio there on the original Instagram one is like cut off. Mm, it's like right she doesn't she didn't say the s, but uh so what do think what was it what was it first graders or second graders? It's a group of uh 7-year-olds and 8-year-olds. So, I'm assuming that's I think it's second graders. So what do you think? But she te- she teaches kindergarten through 5th grade and it's like uh, uh, rotating groups of different ages. 
Sorry, what were you asking? What do so, I think about where babies come from? Yeah, well, I, well, I mean, we've all got a lot of opinions on that, but <laughs> I've got some thoughts about the uterus. But do you think mm. that's an age-appropriate answer to a seven- or eight-year-old that asks that question? Uh, you know, honestly, that yeah, yes, I do. I, I, do, I think it's an appropriate answer from a science teacher Ah, is what I think. I think you're just punting the question, honestly. It is an honest answer, and but it's it, that question is going to come up again. Right. Don't you think? Oh, yeah, definitely. And then how does it get in the uterus? Like, does the right. baby crawl into the uterus through another orifice and then come out via the uterus? Um, but she did say, I think, earlier in the thing that some of the kids thought that possibly you can get pregnant Um if you eat like a accidentally ingest a watermelon seed. Yeah. There, the story mentioned all these myths. The story mentioned that, uh, that it's wonderful that she's willing to answer these questions because parents oftentimes will do anything they can to avoid answering them, including giving all this kind of misinformation like watermelon seeds and storks and things like that. Yeah. Which just create more questions. Yeah, because especially because I heard that if you eat the watermelon seed and you're in a pool, you can't get pregnant. Well, that's just science. Yeah. That's just science. Upworthy Weekly. Non-Americans are sharing the quote, dead giveaway, someone is American, and they're pretty right. A Reddit user named I Love Tall Women asked the online forum, non-Americans of Reddit, what is a dead giveaway that someone is American? To see what they think makes us stand out. There was one answer that people in the thread repeated over and over again that Americans are very friendly people. Countless commenters noted that Americans will approach anyone and start up a conversation. As a person from the U.S., I think it's actually like a pretty positive stereotype to have that mm -hmm. we're like friendly people, you know. Um, it may not be as cool as being like European and being like, oh, I'm smoking a cigarette, like I'm aloof, uh, don't talk to me. But I think just in terms of kindness, uh, it's not a bad way to be. No. Um, so some of the other responses are, they're incredibly loud, but incredibly friendly. Another said, when you know somebody is an, is an American, when you can hear them before you can see them. <laughs> also, you know that they are my three-year-old. Oh, my God, this child has become so loud. Oh, really? Yeah, he's exploring um, volume. It's his new favorite uh, thing to <clears throat> experiment with. Oh, just, ah! <laughs> yeah, he starts at a normal volume and then just, ah! and it gets real loud. And oh my God, it was like, it was like traveling with a wild animal. What fun. Oh, I, my son, um, his magic trick when he was young was his inability to shut a door without completely slamming it and almost ripping it off the hinges. So mm -hmm. every morning, like, you know, I go to bed slightly nervous that every morning I'm going <laughs> to wake up at 545 hearing his bedroom door just whack. Yeah. Like yeah. smack. And then you wake up like, what the hell's going on? And then you hear the footsteps. You go, okay. And like, <laughs> Hold my crotch, because if he's going to jump on the bed, that's where he's landing every time. Like, being the parent of a five-year-old, like, I should just wear a jock strap every day, because that's just heat-seeking missile for the crotch. Yes. it. Uh, children are impossible sometimes. Yeah. That's so sweet sometimes. They also said that Americans describe distances in driving time as opposed to miles or kilometers. Oh, that's interesting. Yes, that's true. Yeah, we usually like, oh, how, how you get to downtown? Like, oh, no, it's like 45 minutes right now or, you know. Right. Or, you if know, someone it, gave me a distance, I wouldn't know uh, how what to do with it. And yeah. certainly if it was in a metric system. Oh, God. I think Don't, they just make that up. The kilometer, <laughs> they, they, it's not actually a thing. They just say it to confuse us. Yes, because confuse us, it does. Because as an American, I believe the whole world is just acting, you know, to, for our reaction because we're the yeah, only it's like people. A it's a Truman Show situation. Yeah. Uh, that, that did remind me of how well they nailed it on SNL when they did the Californians. And yes. People just talk about traffic and how they got there. <laughs> that would. Right. 
and I read, it was like, oh God, yeah. Like, and I just remember they're like, how did you get here? You were in Marina Del Rey. And I'm like, oh my God, yeah. How did they get, like, I was intrigued to know how they got from Marina right. Del Rey to <laughs> Bel Air right. and at 245, you're not, you're not getting there. It's going to take you four days, you know? <laughs> They also said the way to tell Americans is visible tattoos on otherwise, quote, oh. normal-looking people are a common indicator. Americans love tattoos. That's a good one. So, Allison, have you done much traveling overseas? Uh, it's been a number of years, but I have done – I've been to Europe a handful of times – and I remember, I don't know if this is still the case, but like per- periodically you would hear if you're an American, depending on what's going on, polit- you know, globally, like if you're an American traveling, you should p- put a Canadian flag on your luggage. I remember the first time I went to England, which was in 2003, and my wife had lived there for like a year. So she just like grilled me before we left. It was like, you are not going to look at anybody while you're sitting on the tube, which is their subway. Uh, you're not going to talk to anybody on the tube. When you get out of the tube and you go up the escalator, you're going to stand on one side. If you're walking mm-hmm. up, you walk up on the left side. And like, there are all these things, mostly public transportation related, and mostly like, don't be yourself. Don't be chatty. <laughs> don't, don't. Don't be friendly. Right. Wipe that smile off your damn face. Grab an umbrella, you know, and and I thought that she was being a little extreme, but then when I got there I realized, oh yeah, I'm glad she told me. But then after 2 weeks of being in England, I realized that England had had an effect on me because I was sitting in a in a pub. Mm. Not a bar, but a pub. That's their bar, right? Yeah. Yes, yes, that's where they uh that's Were you where they a pint. I was having a pint and watching a match on the pitch, and mm. the game started on schedule. Oh, good. And the can of Budweiser was in an aluminum mm. cup. Were you watching footy? A lot of footy happening. There was um, a lot of footy on the pitch. We were listening to Oasis, you know. And when I let, when towards the end of the night, a group of Americans walked in to the pub and it was like oh god what is that noise and i realized (laughs) that being around more like chill people or whatever i realized like i could hear the americans a mile away Mm because i had you know so it was kind of funny that i realized oh yeah that's what we sound like but it took two weeks in the other country for me to have that right 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 you know i do suspend now that i think back on the last time i was abroad so I, I said that it had been a number of years, but actually um, Daniel or Danville, as we've nicknamed him, and I went, mm. uh, we, went to, we went to Paris um, in 26, was it 2016, 2015? Who cares? It was around that time. Um, for six days, which is not long enough. Somehow at that time, it was like, what a luxurious trip this will be, six days. But it's like, it was so fast. Uh, um, so I would advise going for longer if you possibly can, because with the with uh, jet lag and all that, it was like I felt like I was there for like a, a, a blank. But anyway, um, I think that we probably stood out as Americans with tipping because uh. they don't that, you know, you know, gratuity is like built in that you don't really tip over there. And so I remember feeling like I am doing something different than <laughs> what is normal. <laughs> yeah. I'm going my own way here. <laughs> I, I remember being in the pub and mm. be, being away from Americans or whatever for a while. Uh, I remember hearing somebody and he was from like Georgia, but his accent sounded vaguely American. And I was like, oh my God, an American. And it was just like, yeah, you're from my country. And he's like, yes, yes. And I was like, I'm from California. And, it, you know, and it was this whole, like, we were next, right. we were next door neighbors suddenly, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, yeah. I remember things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I also remember trying to speak French 
and thinking, I know they speak English. This conversation would be so much easier if I just spoke English because then I would actually be able to understand what they're saying and they would understand me. But instead, I in, I'm going to insist on using my crappy French and then I won't understand what they're saying. They'll barely understand me, but I'm going to do it, goddammit. And it was like very frustrating to my sister because I would ask for directions in French and then I wouldn't understand the response. And then she would be like, what? This is futile. But I did it anyway. <laughs> you had to stick it out. I, I remember I one time I was on a plane flight one time. It was like a six-hour flight from L.A. I don't know. I was going somewhere on the East Coast. And I was sitting on the flight, and a woman sitting next to me didn't speak any. She spoke very, very uh, limited amount of English, but she spoke Spanish. And so... I said a couple of things to her in, in Spanish, in my rudimentary Spanish, which I, I'm okay, you know, I can get around a bit. Mm-hmm. I took four years in high school or whatever. But then she, st- oh, oh, you speak Spanish. And then she wanted to speak in Spanish with me, like, the whole flight. And then it was, like, hurting my brain to keep, keep to keep going and listening. Yeah. And keep translating. Like, oh, see. Oh, see. And I was just like, oh, that was the dumbest thing. Never act like you can speak a foreign <laughs> language, Todd. Yeah. I know. Well, that's another thing I realized is that I would meet people abroad who would say they can speak a tiny bit of English and they would be fluent, basically. Whereas like when I say I can speak a tiny bit of another language, no, I literally mean only a tiny bit. <laughs> you don't understand how limited I am. Um, that makes me feel very American to not be fluent in a number of languages. Yeah. I that's, wish how I were. I, that's how I could tell you were American. My lack of faculty with a number of languages. Yeah, I was just like saying, I was like, gesundheit, like after you sneezed. <laughs> and you're like, what does that mean? Right. right, I looked at you, I was so confused. Yeah. And then I tried to tip you. It was weird. Upworthy Weekly. It's time to rate your week. Have something great happen this week that you just have to share with the world? Tell us about it by emailing us at upworthyweekly at upworthy.com. Allison, on a scale of one through five, one being the uns, which means bad in Hawaiian, and the other, and a five being transplended, which also means transplended in Hawaiian. Rate your week. I'm going to give it a four. Oh. Uh, yeah. Now, was that an O because it's so high or O because you expected it to be even higher? I feel like we crossed the ceiling, you know? Um, I had a really good, yeah. I had a really good time. I mean, I almost want to go higher, but then I, I don't know. I feel like I got to reserve that for 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 when I find a Beastie Boys poster or something. But yeah. Um, I, yeah, so, you know, we were on vacation. We went to Hawaii. We had a great time. Uh, It's the, like I said, it's the first time I've traveled in, I keep saying it's been three years of the pandemic, but it's not. It's been two years, but we're on, you know, we're on the third year. But just especially for me, the first few, it's funny, Daniel and I were, our vacation, uh, our experience of the vacation, we were a little bit out of sync at the beginning. Like for me, the first couple days, I was just walking around uh, the the resort. It was so – we went to the south side of Kauai, went to the Grand Hyatt Kauai, which is like the south side of Kauai, Poipu. It's like a postcard of what you expect Hawaii to look like. It, to me, it just looks like paradise. And I was just walking around, and it was so beautiful, and I could not believe I was there. And I just couldn't believe how much – the visual uh the visuals were affecting my mood mm. um just how much it was just making me so happy just to be in that location because i would like to think i'm deeper than that like it's you know i'm i'm deeper than just looking at something pretty makes me totally happy but maybe i'm not i don't know um so for me that was the first few days and then um, you know, it kind of equalized and it's like, oh, no, I'm still me. And here I am. And I've brought <laughs> my meanness to this island. And now it's kind of equalizing. Um, I mean, I still had a great time, of course, though. And also I had, you know, a handful of experiences with both of my kids where I was just like, these are memories I will remember forever. And it was just wonderful to be away. Um, for Daniel, I think 
for him, he said that it took about three or four days to really feel like he was on vacation. It's just interesting how, for me, the first few days were were the high. We kind of crossed each other. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was just, it was really great. So that was my week. It was wonderful. Did you go to a luau? We didn't. Um, I think I had mentioned to you ahead of time, uh, I didn't realize this, but it was at 100% capacity. And I even thought the hotel was 100% capacity. And I thought ahead of time, maybe we should make some restaurant reservations. And I was like, nah, let's be spontaneous. We'll be in the moment. But then like the, a few nights before I started looking at restaurant reservations and I would go on open table and it would be like, uh, you know, the first opening was in a month and a half or something. And I was like, this is insane. This can't be right. Um, and then I even called a couple restaurants and no, that is right. So we were able to get a f- couple reservations, um, but everything was, pr- so the luau was, to- lu- luau's were totally booked. Um, but I did find that here's some, it, a very specific advice for anyone going to a vacation place that is completely booked, which it seems like everything is booked right now. Um, uh, go to a rest. If you don't mind waiting, go to a restaurant in person because then we would get to a restaurant if we finally got a reservation and it actually wouldn't be that full. So I think they're short staffed too, though. I don't know. Mm. Um, Do the American thing of tipping well. Uh, I recommend. Did you find that there were a lot of uh, COVID restrictions still in Kauai or was it like California where it's like everything's just like, well, if you feel like it? So. We flew on the very last day of the restrictions. Um, So to fly there, you had to upload proof of vaccination um, or a negative test. Yeah. But that ended at 6 p.m. that day, which I felt I had mixed feelings about because part of me felt like, oh, it's this extra hassle for us. But the other part of me felt like, well, I would feel more comfortable if everyone had to be still be, like, why are they dropping this? (laughs) But then the other part of me is like, well, I guess it's good. And I don't know. Um, You know, I would say there were a lot of unmasked people indoors, but then I would say maybe half of the people indoors were masked. Um, So much of Hawaii is still, I mean, so much of the, there's so much like indoor outdoor space that at the hotel I didn't really feel uncomfortable because most of the indoors is still like still open to the outdoors as well. So I, we didn't eat anywhere that was truly in just indoors. And if it was anywhere like a shop or anything that was indoors entirely, then, then we would wear masks. Um, it, you know, we've been, I've been so concerned conservative about, COVID risk that it really was um, interesting to like be among people again. Uh, it was nice, but there were a lot of moments where I was just like, okay, I'm just going to have to push through this discomfort. This is what it's like hmm. to like emerge again, you know? Yeah. Um, and that we all got sniffles on the trip and we took an array of rapid tests and we were negative. Uh, but I don't know. But now that I'm back home, I I feel like it it'd be weird to be a complete shut in again after being pretty out and about in Hawaii and the rates here are still very low. So I don't know. But anyway, I told you that I had a very, very, Oh, sorry. I cut you off. Oh no. Yeah. Go ahead. ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, the, the last, um, you were on the last flight with the restrictions. Like the next flight was like the big anti-vaxxer. <laughs> yeah, like, everybody, yeah, the anti-vaxxer convention came on the next flight. Like everybody <laughs> got COVID on the next one. Right. Um, so I uh, I mentioned to you that I had a hugely embarrassing experience. I'm exaggerating. It was, a pr- it was for me personally an embarrassing experience in Hawaii. Okay, so we have discussed on this show that you and I both have stuffed animals that we occasionally still sleep with, even though we are very mature adults. Uh, And we're so mature and we're so confident that we've admitted on this show to our zillions of listeners that we both have stuffed animals or stuffies, as the young people call them. And And you're the one. Oh, sorry. I would just say I only I do it to keep to to make sure that my uh, stuffed animal is never gets lonely. It's not for my own personal emotional needs. No, it's for 
their needs. Yeah. For their needs. Right. So the reason I brought my koala to Hawaii was for her sake. I felt like she needed a tropical vacation. I didn't want her to be lonely. No, the truth is when I was, look, as, as discussed, I've had her since I was six. Uh, also, I have referred to her as a koala bear. And in that clip that Upworthy posted, I called her a koala bear. And there were a lot of comments like, it's not a bear. And look, I know. I'm old enough that in my day, they were called koala bears, even though we all they're not truly bears, they're marsupials. But I did a little uh, looking around, and uh, they've truly dropped the bear from the name. They're just called koalas now. I think... It's not cool to call them koala bears, so I am sorry. I will, I, just, just koala. I have changed my ways. So anyway, I used to travel with this stuffed animal all the time. Uh, but being that I'm an adult, I don't anymore. However, when I was packing for the hospital to have my second child, my mom said to me, are you bringing your koala? And I, I thought, no, I'm an adult giving birth to a human baby. I'm not bringing my stuffed animal. Um, <laughs> I didn't say all that. I just said no. And she's like, really? Don't you think it might you know, bring you some comfort? And I thought that's embarrassing. She's like, honey. Uh, and, and so I thought, okay, fine. I'll just, I'll just bring the, the bear. And then I actually, when I was giving birth or you know, leading up to the birth, I was really happy that I had this stuffed animal with me because it did bring me comfort to be able to you know, hold her while I was uh, you know, uncomfortable and in labor and whatnot. Um, so anyway, that was in my mind and I was packing my suitcase and I actually had a little bit of extra room in my obscenely large suitcase. So I was like, you know what? F it. I'm going to put the koala in here. Brought the koala to Hawaii. Was happy I did. Packing to come home. Surprised that my suitcase had a little bit of extra room in it. Figured it was just because uh, the duffel that I the extra duffel we had had more kids stuff in it. We had you know, sort of chained da, 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 pack all in the car. We're driving away. We're uh, a little bit later, but, but we're still making good time. But we had left the hotel about 15 minutes later than we wanted to about 15 minutes out. And I go, Oh my God, my koala. Oh God. I think I really said, Oh my God, my bear, but don't tell anyone. Oh my God, my bear. <laughs> and then my husband's like, really? And I oh. said, yes. And he goes, and I'm like, should I just call the hotel and ask if they can send it? And I truly was like, is this the point where as an adult, I stop having my stuffed animal? Because I feel like, I feel, I know, long story short, I left my stuffed animal at the hotel and I was like, we are on, we're totally packed. It was such an ordeal to get us packed all the bags, all the kids, the whole rigmarole were finally stuffed into this rental car, stuffed into the rental car. We're on our way to the airport. We're even a little bit late. Are we really going to turn back? Maybe I don't need this stuffed animal anymore. We turned back. Oh, I ran to good. the front desk. I said, we just checked out. They, I showed my ID. I ran to the room, grabbed the koala, marched out of the hotel holding it like my husband holds my purse like this is definitely someone else's (laughs) came to the car koala's back in my room it's all good but yeah i uh felt like a real silly person (laughs) a real silly adult (laughs) you know i i think this is one of the most beautiful things ever because you and the koala have come this far been through some stuff I mean, they even reclassified the koala's species during your lifetime together. That's a lot. That's great. Thank you. And you know what? Owen, my three-year-old, my loud, feral three-year-old, saw the koala in my lap. And he's like, and again, I'm apologies. He's like, bear. Or maybe he said koala. No, he said bear because then Elliot's like, it's not a bear, Owen. It's a koala. And then he was holding it. And he was giving it kisses. And I was like, maybe I'm passing the torch. But then he gave it back to me. But, but I was like, oh, my God, look at passed down from generation. Like now he's having a relationship with this filthy stuffed animal that almost made us late. You know, the fact that you did have a moment where you considered that maybe this was the end of the road between you and the koala. I know. 
I'd feel bad that I even considered that. I mean, I might have that moment of the same thing happened with my Teddy. I might have that moment of just not wanting to put my family through that. Uh, maybe not wanting to hear Danville go, like that. Maybe he was, I mean, I, I was, he, he apologized when I got back in the car. I actually, cause he said so he was, he was just being very not cool about it. And I said to him, I don't need this right now. I said, I feel dumb enough. <laughs> and then I got, then when I came back to the car, he clapped like in, not in a condescending way in a ha- in a nice, like he's happy for me way. And he said, I'm sorry, honey. And I said, thank you. <laughs> and then I hope, I hope after that there was a really quiet ride though. Still, uh, you know what I'm saying? Right. I'm sorry. Thank you. And then you both, <laughs> <laughs> no, I we we were both over it, but uh, but I but there were other moments where we hung on to stuff, so don't you worry. Oh, great, <laughs> Allison, are you a better person yes. than you were last week? Yes, I think I am because I had a moment on the beach. Uh, it was the day before we left, and I was stressed about packing and whatnot, and. I was looking at my two kids and my husband and I was thinking I have these two perfect to me children and this perfect to me husband and these are the things that I I spent so long thinking like will I ever find someone to love me that I love oh. and will I ever have kids of my own and now I have all this like my life is so good and if I can stand here in this beautiful place with these wonderful people and I can't feel what's good this sounds like it's a positive thing but it's about to get dark for a second if I can't feel the good things in my life what's wrong with me like that was this feeling I had like is something broken inside me that I can't like connect to the good in a moment like this. Um, and uh, the, I, the, it sounds darker than it really was, but it, I was just frustrated with my inability to like be in the moment. And it kind of it made me uh, commit to trying to be in the moment more. And it, it, yeah, like I said, it, I know it sounds dark. It wasn't, I was just frustrated with myself and I had a moment of like recognizing that all these things that I have to be grateful for I, I, and, and just being frustrated with my inability to, to feel it sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. But I also think that's the human condition. Uh, yeah, and it's also like the moment you start thinking about it this is, the, is the moment you start evaluating it and that's the moment that you kind of lose the joy of the situation. And when right. you were... Maybe 20 minutes before that, when you were just playing, you were having fun, you were staying out of the sun and wearing a big hat and coming back actually paler than you left. Um, No, I I have a tan. Look. See my chest? It's tan. Oh, okay. Hmm. (laughs) Hmm. I I, I ain't buying it. I ain't buying it. That's tan. I don't know. That looks pale to me. me. That's tan for me. What? That is tan for me. I I am burnt sienna. I mean, come on. It's like a tan line. Uh, look. Okay. Oh, uh, <laughs> you know. Look, we can't all. Okay. For me, I'm tan. Okay. Ish. All right. I'll give you that. But what I was saying is sometimes we feel the need to sit and like grab onto that fleeting moment and try to like, I will. I will turn this into the emotion factory and I should be, you know, yes. turning cartwheels on the beach. And it's almost because you're being so self-conscious in that moment that it takes you out of it. And bless, right. blessed are the people who are not wired that way to be so self-conscious in a moment like that. You know, this is true. Todd, how was your week on a scale of one awful which means awful in Hawaiian, to five. <laughs> amazing, which means amazing in Hawaiian. Uh, you know what? I'm going to give it a, a, a three just because there was some good, there was some bad. Um, I Basically, it was just, I had a really, really busy week with a lot of things going on in my life that weren't like fun stuff, but just like, crap, you got to get done. And I was able to get them all done. So that was a positive. 
But then I had a I had a good experience and a bad experience. What what do you want to hear first? The good. Okay. The let's good. Ex- end, let's end on a bad note. Yes. Very good. Because <laughs> we probably don't have enough time to get into the next story. I don't think because we're getting a little long here. But oh, um, okay. So we'll we'll end after this. But uh, so when you hear the the theme song. No, we got twenty more seconds. So well, wait. Maybe we should end on a positive note then. So let's hear the bad first. Okay. The bad thing was, a couple weeks ago on an episode, maybe it's one of our first episodes. I told the story about how I was once on a double decker bus on a pub crawl, and a woman who I did not know got in my face and told me that I needed to have more than one child because we need more white babies. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. And I said I was so floored by what she said that I didn't even know how to react. Mm-hmm. And I had been drinking heavily because it was like, you know, a pub crawl. So I got invited back on the same double-decker bus to do a pub crawl with a different crowd of people uh, over the weekend. Everybody who I knew from that crowd are nice, great people. But, you know, you get on a bus with a whole bunch of people, many you don't know, you know, could be somebody's brother, somebody's husband, somebody, you know. Who knows who, you know, more than 20 people, you're not going to know everybody who could know that many people. Right. Not, certainly not you. It's a lot of people. So after three bars and me having like a big double shot of Jameson at the last one, uh, I was like, oh, I'm getting a little drunk. Um, I'm going to kind of just sit by myself on the bus for a while and kind of collect myself. And I don't want to say anything stupid. I, I'm just going to I gotta have a moment to myself and kind of get my head right because I, I found that that last drink they poured was way too large. And there were some gentlemen sitting by me who I did not know. And the Will Smith thing came up in conversation. Oh, boy. Uh, so I, just, I mentioned something innocuous about it or made a joke or whatever. I don't know. Nothing offensive or whatever. And the person I was talking to about it decided they need to say something really racist about what happened. Mm, uh oh. And I was like, oh no. And then I'm like, it's happening again. I'm on, <laughs> I, I'm on the this racist. This is so weird. This is yeah. the racist double decker bus. <laughs> and maybe Were you be- in the same seat? Uh no no I was on the bottom of the bus last okay. last time I was I had to hear terrible racism I was on the top this time and again maybe maybe it's one of those things how do you know you're an American when people are racist to you on a double decker bus and it yes takes, and it blindsides you right so I sat there and I was like oh my god it's happening again and so there was like a little bit of like an internal laugh a little bit but then I was like oh mm-hmm. god this guy just said something terrible how how do I react to this. And, you know, so I was like, I just said, you know, because you're, you're not like, like going to come out some big lecture at the guy who's being a racist uh, to change their mind. You're just going to have a fight amongst drunken people on a party bus. Right. And so I just said, you know, I think, uh, you know, I prefer to judge people based on who they are as people and not what group they're in. To which the guy responded with something else racist. And then I just turned and let. Let the bus go and just like, okay, that's, I'm not arguing, you know, what am I going to do? And um, so, yeah, that was, that was a bad thing. But I, I didn't, I mean, I felt like I responded to it correctly. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I mean, was there like a teacher to tell on the drunken bus? Like he's being a racist. <laughs> no, you can't, especially not when alcohol is involved. You're not going to, I think you handled it well. You're not yeah. going to penetrate that. No. So. Um, and then the good, the good thing though is this week our show got another member helping us out, Lauren from Tink Media. Yay! So that's been really exciting. We're working with some people that are going to make our successful show even more successful, so I'm very happy. And yes, so that was very cool. Yes. Yay. Wonderful. And Todd, are you a better person than you were before this week? You know, this week it was a real buzzer beater that tipped me over into being a better person. What's a buzzer um, beater? Well, oh, that's it, a sports term, huh? Yeah, yeah. You, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry no, for bringing up no a sports apology. term. No apology necessary. I like to uh, open my world. I, you know, I, I should know. You're limited in that uh, scope. Uh, so, 
I was coming out to my studio to get everything ready to record today, and I was going back and forth because I was redoing my setup in here, and uh, it's really hot outside. And and again, I was teetering. Am I a better person or not? I was like, I don't think I've changed at all. But you know what? <laughs> I saw a bee struggling for his life in my pool. Oh wow! So I got the big big pool skiff, and I saved the bee's life. Oh, congrats! That's so nice. I lifted, you know, I don't know how many micrograms or how many kilometers a bee is, but I heavily <laughs> lifted that sucker out of there. And uh, I, I did that, and then I thought, feeling pretty good about this week. I can say I'm a better person. And then, lo and behold, I see another bee because I see the water, concentric circles going to the water. Mm-hmm. Another bee saved his life. Two Now two bees. Oh, my God, you're a bee hero. Then... Now this that this upworthy is wholesome. Then I saw a ladybug <gasps> struggling. Really? Struggling to stay alive in the pool. It a fell in, in distress. I mean, it could be a dude ladybug. Don't the dudes have the spots or is it the females or is it female dalmatians? That I mean, is it spots? okay to say anymore these days? Really? Mm-hmm. Um my understanding is it's the the females that have the spots, but I could be wrong. A female, think, female ladybug. I think. I think so. A little redundant, the female ladybug. Mm, isn't it, though? So then I put the skiv in there, and I lifted that heavy, heavy ladybug and, and, and brought him or her to safety. And so I, you know, I was pretty heroic today. Didn't fall in the water, and yeah. I saved, saved the life of three insects. So I wow. think that just pushed me. Again, shot clock, shot clock down. Yeah. One second, they inbounded Jordan. Flu game. Tiger Woods, y'all. Congrats. What I like about the story is, it seems, tell me if I'm right, it seems like with each successive insect that you saved, you became more invested in saving insects. Like, you were almost sort of, uh, you were like a, a little unsure with the first one, but now you are like God's gift to insects. Well, yeah, the first one, I mean, like a bee's going to sting you. You know, you don't care. Right. You, you know, what was well, you brought a snake in the house, as they say, right? Right. Well, I love it. I love this this new you. I know. So, you know, my house has become some kind of a safe haven for bugs, I guess. <laughs> And uh, everybody, be sure to, before you close that app, uh, leave a review for us. Uh, Upworthy Five Weekly. stars, please. Yes, thank you so Email much. Email us, too. We love to hear from you. We read it on the show. Upworthy right. Weekly Upworthy is Weekly produced by Tom Perry. Follow if you're Upworthy a bee, on all socials at Pay Upworthy. it forward. Allison is on Twitter at Allison Rosen. And Todd at Todd A. Perry. That's Todd with one D. Questions, comments, or to tell us about your amazing week, email us at UpworthyWeekly at Upworthy.com. I'm Marley Balin. Have a great week.